This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. If you're a guest this morning, we are thrilled you're here. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. And during Advent, we've been exploring Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is a prophecy about the arrival of Jesus. We are in our third week, uh, so next Sunday is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Because it's also Christmas Eve, our schedule's a little bit different. At 1045 next week, we'll have one morning service that will be like this morning, our final Advent service. We'll have Amy will do Kids Blast for the kids, all the normal preschool stuff. We're going to talk about what it means for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. And then next Sunday uh, afternoon and evening at 4.30 and 6, we'll have our Christmas Eve services with carols and candlelight communion. If you've never been to one of those, I'd really encourage you to come this year. It's a great, wonderful tradition to start with uh, your family by yourself. However, uh, just a, a great way for us to really celebrate that together. So that's the plan for next Sunday. But today, uh, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and see what it teaches us about Jesus as our everlasting Father. So let's start by reading that together. Isaiah prophesies about 700 years before Christ is born, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so what we've been exploring is how these, primarily these four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace are given by Isaiah to this child who will come. To point us towards this idea that this is not just another child, not just another king, but there will be divinity in this child. There will be an eternal nature to him that is unlike anything else, right? This is how Isaiah can say, of his reign there will be no end. That governments will rest on his shoulders because he is not like any human who's come before. This morning we're going to look at this idea of Jesus as our everlasting father. And as we do that, we'll see that it teaches us that in his love and care for us, there is no end. Now, we want to pay attention from the beginning because uh, we believe in the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so what is not being said here is that Jesus comes as just a representation of the Father, right? But it's telling us instead... God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they exist eternally together. Jesus comes to us, and part of his job when he comes is to show us the love of the everlasting Father, right? To to put skin on it, to display it for us. And so we see that throughout his life. We see that in all the writings in the New Testament about him. They're describing the everlasting love of God. And so in those, those two titles, everlasting, points us again to the idea that Jesus is eternal, that he stands before all things, uh, that he is before us, before our problems, before our issues. So he's always going to be big enough to care for us. And then that title of father is one that is to point us to his nearness, right? That he loves us as a father loves his children. He cares for us as a father cares for his children. He provides for us as a father provides for his children. Now, whenever we talk about either Jesus as our everlasting father from this passage in Isaiah, or uh, more generally, when we talk about God as our father, we always have to address this idea that, that God has created men to be fathers and to show their children what the love of God looks like. And in the ideal world, this is how it works. 
Men rise up into this role. They model for their wives, for their children, for society as a whole. This is what it looks like to live a life devoted to the Lord, surrendered to him in his service. And now you all follow behind me and you can do the same for those who are coming after you. But what we know is that the ideal is not always our experience. And so when we talk about this idea of an everlasting father, it can bring up all kinds of issues for us. Some of us, we had great relationships with our dads. They weren't perfect, but they did make it easy for us to understand God's love and to experience that. For others, the idea of God as an everlasting father of Jesus, especially in this role, is hard for us to understand because maybe your dad just wasn't around. You just never really knew him. And so to suddenly begin to think, well, if God's like my father, then that means I don't know him. He doesn't care about me. And he's just not really a part of my life at all. And then, then you get this new weight for those of you men who have the privilege of being a dad. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to look back at your dad and think, yeah, that's all the way he, all the ways he blew it. Right? It's another thing to look at yourself and say, what am I doing for my kids who are coming behind me? And so sometimes then we feel this new way of, oh man, a message about God as our father. Uh, this is really just going to highlight all the ways that I'm a bad dad, which it might, right? I mean, that's always a possibility. Uh, but here's what I want us to understand this morning, not just in relationship to our dads and God as our father, but this is, this is true of all of life, that wherever the ideal is lacking, God's grace is sufficient. Right? So, so as you come into this this morning and you think, God is my father, I don't, I don't get it. I don't want to get it. It's only a source of pain. It's only a source of discomfort. Maybe you're a single mom and you're thinking, that's great, but what about my kids? You know, maybe you're a dad who has burned all of the relational bridges with your children and you're thinking, man, I, I hope they're not in a church somewhere thinking about what a terrible person I am. Right? But, but whatever our case is this morning... Advent reminds us that Christ has come not because we were perfect, but because we were disasters. So he comes towards us. So if your experience of fatherhood is tainted by sin, which for all of us it is, even if you had the, the world's best dad, there were still areas he fell short, couldn't quite get it together all of the time. If you had truly awful experiences, if you've been a truly terrible dad, The message of Advent is that hope can still be born in you because Christ is still your everlasting father, still extending grace, still extending mercy to us. And so if if you immediately start to throw up some of these objections or walls when you hear this idea of Jesus is our everlasting father, that's great, but not for me. My encouragement for you today is just to do your very best to lay those down and to listen to what the scripture teaches us about Jesus as our everlasting father. Now, one of the the Old Testament passages that most clearly describes uh, God's fatherly kindness towards us is Psalm 139. And when Jesus comes through his life and his ministry, he begins to show us what Psalm 139 looks like when it plays out in the real world. And so what I want us to do this morning is just kind of walk through Psalm 139 together, and we're going to consider four ideas from it that relate to Jesus as our everlasting Father. First, we're going to see that it teaches us Jesus sees us. Second, Jesus knows us. Third, Jesus loves us. And fourth, Jesus has a plan for us. So we're going to start in Psalm 139, verse 7. If you have a Bible, it's going to, uh, you can read along with me. It's going to say, where can I go? This is David writing, where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. Right? So, so he's reminding us here, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God always sees you. And when Jesus comes, he personalizes this. Of he sees you, he knows you. You see it when he calls the disciples. Right? And he, men he's never met, never interacted with, he begins to call them out like he's known them their entire lives. You see it in his interactions, even with his opponents, where he begins to address people as if he knows them whom he's never met before. Reminding us of this idea that because Jesus is our mighty God, then one of his functions as our everlasting father is that he always sees us. And when they, so think of these little preschoolers who were up here this morning. Now, if you were sitting by one of their dads, and you could clearly tell he was a dad, right? Because he was either had his phone out and was videotaping or uh, his wife did next to him. It's just obvious he's a dad of one of those little kids. And you leaned over to him and said, hey, which one's yours? Now, if he responded, I'm not really sure. You, your thoughts in that moment would not be, this is a great dad, right? Your thought would be, what's wrong with you? You know, like there's, there's a story there if he's not sure which kid is his, right? But we, we know them. And if you're, if you're just a, a normal dad, you can look up here and you pick out your kid because you know what they look like. You know about how big they are. If you're a really attentive dad, you might have even paid attention to what clothes they were wearing this morning, right? Probably not, but there's a chance. Uh, you know, there, some days my wife's like, what were the kids wearing when they left? I'm like, clothes? You know, I mean... I'll let you know if they run out naked, but until then, I don't really care. As long as they're covered, that's all that matters, right? So, but what we know is that a good dad sees his children. He knows where they are. And this is what David is teaching us about God. This is what Jesus comes to make personal to us. That no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter where we are, no matter who we're with, Jesus always sees us. And so what that means for us this morning is that in every situation, hope is born in our hearts because he sees us. It means you've never been overlooked. You've never been forgotten by God. He has not willingly pushed you out of his view and turned his back on you. But while you were faithless, while you were fleeing from him, he is continually moving towards you because he sees you. David says, where can I go to escape your presence? If I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go to the lowest depths, you're there. Even the darkness will be as light to you. And it reminds us this morning, Jesus sees us even when we are trying to bury ourselves in our sin. That whether we are reveling in the darkness or we are dancing in the light, it does not change his view of us. He always sees us. But he doesn't just see us from a distance. Psalm 139 also tells us Jesus always knows us. Right? So you go back to verse 1 and David writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Right? Jesus doesn't just see you. He, he knows you. Right? Again, you, you think of the preschoolers who are up here this morning. Now, if their dads recognize them, none of us are particularly impressed by that. Right? Hey, which one's yours? That one. Okay, that's what a dad should do. Now, if you had time to ask that dad, tell me about your child. Right? If, if, you, if I'm at a school function and somebody says, which kid is yours? Say that one. Tell me about them. I'm like, well, they're tall and skinny. That's about it. You know, I don't really, again, bad dad, right? A, a good dad knows his children. He makes the effort to learn what they like, what they don't like, what their interests are, what they're good at, where they're strong, where they're weak, how he can help them, how he can walk with them. And, and some of you, you've had this benefit of a dad who knows you and you understand the strength and the settling it's brought to your soul. Because even if you went to school and you felt anonymous or overlooked, even now, maybe as, a, maybe as an adult, you might be 50 years old and you feel like nobody ever sees you, nobody ever knows you, and this Christmas you're going to hang out with your 80-year-old dad and he's going to make you feel like the most special person in the world and you're going to talk about the stories from your childhood and you're going to talk about the things that you're doing now and your heart's going to be at peace because in that setting you are known by your father. Right? And, and it is a, a beautiful experience to have. But even that the very best father in the world his knowledge of his children will always be limited. Because there's always going to be something a child holds back from their father. There's always going to be things that are in us that, that we don't fully recognize or can't fully express. But what David is telling us here in Psalm 139 is that God sees us and God knows us completely. Right? He, he perceives our thoughts from afar. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Again, you see it in Jesus and in his interactions with the disciples. They are acting in certain ways and he's telling them not just don't do that, but he's saying there's this thing inside of you that's broken and if you'll let me fix it, I will redirect you. He knows them better than they know themselves. And this is both a comforting thought and a terrifying thought. It's comforting because it means God not only sees me, but he knows everything I'm doing, everything I'm experiencing, every problem I'm dealing with. It's terrifying because it means he knows all of those things that I've tried really, really hard to make sure no one ever knows. He knows the, the fleeting thoughts that run through my mind. He knows those that I uh, engage in and entertain. He knows the actions that we're ashamed of. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows it all. And there can be a little bit of us that thinks, man, if somebody knows me that well, I don't know that he would actually want to know me anymore. And I don't know that I would actually want to know him. I, have you ever had the experience of being in the presence of someone who knows about some of your past mistakes? Right? It can be a little unsettling. Right? And depending on how gracious they are, they can either help ease that situation or they can highlight it. You know, if I go back to where I grew up in Topeka and took, was able to take all of you with me, there are people I could introduce you to and you could tell them about what a wonderful person I was and they could tell you, yeah, but let me tell you what a jerk he used to be. My sister had this friend, I shouldn't tell you this, but you're going to, I mean, you probably have low opinion of me anyway. So uh, in um, middle school, my sister had this friend and we were on a church trip and uh, uh, I, I know it's hard to believe, but I, I really used to be very sarcastic. 
And uh, so I was, I was just teasing her mercilessly, me and my friend. And she finally had enough, and she broke down in tears, which was not unusual. But uh, she did that day again. And, and she said, I bet you guys can't even be nice to me for one full day. Well, the only thing I liked more than teasing people was competition. So I was like, absolutely, yes, I can. She said, no matter what I say, no matter what you say, I don't care what you say. I can be nice to you just to prove I did it. Okay, so, so we engage in this little um, agreement. Well, I didn't know she was going to turn into a horrible person the rest of the day. And she said terrible things to us all day long. And she'd say something terrible, and then she'd say, remember our bet. Something terrible and even worse, remember our bet. So by the end of the day, me and my buddy, we picked up these rocks, and we, with a Sharpie, drew a little face on it. And we named the rock her name. And we spent the whole day saying terrible things to the rock in front of her to prove we're not being mean to you, but I hate this rock, right? And we would chuck it, and we'd go find it, and we terrible things. Now, well, now you know that part of me, but before that, you didn't know that about me. And it could be easier for me to tell you, hey, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, I've got that on lockdown. But I take you back to people who've known me my whole life, they'd be like, he's a horrible person. I can't believe you let him be your pastor, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It gets much worse from there. Here's the thing, though, when... When, when we're around people who know us and they know us in our failings and they know us in our shortcomings, it can make us feel very small, very insecure, very inadequate, and we don't really enjoy being in their presence. This is why some of you are dreading family visits this Christmas. Because no matter how good life is right now, they're going to remind you of that mistake. No matter how much success you've experienced in the last 10 years, they're going to bring up the thing you did 30 years ago. No matter how mature you are right now, you've finished college, you've got the job, you're engaged in God's plan for your life, and they're going to remind you what a little brat you were when you were 13 years old. And, and we just don't always enjoy being around those people. And so when it comes to this idea of Jesus is our everlasting father who knows us completely, it can be a little intimidating and left on its own, it would be terrifying. But David reminds us that even when God knows us completely, he still loves us, right? You read on in Psalm 139, verse 5, and David says, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. It's this idea of, look, God knows you completely. And his response is not to run away in disgust, but it is to surround you with his love and with his presence. You hem me and you come around the back. You come around the front. You lay your hand of protection and blessing upon me. This is God's response to his full, unlimited knowledge of us. Right? Paul says it this way in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When God had the full knowledge of who we are, what we've done, what we would be without him, his response was not to run away, it was to run towards and that's what we celebrate during Advent, right? That Jesus as our everlasting father is proof that Jesus loves us. He knows us completely and he loves us completely. And we think we understand that, but we don't. There is, we, we talk about unconditional love. But if we're honest, all of our love has some form of conditional aspect to it. Your love for your spouse is strong, but there are things that could occur that could break that love. 
You've seen this happen, maybe in a relationship with a parent or with a child where you love them unconditionally. But then through a course of events, through decades of dysfunction, somehow that love is severed and broken. And we take those ideas and we try to apply them to God and think there's no way he can know me fully and yet still love me. But that's exactly what the scriptures tell us. His response is to hem us in from behind and before. To lay his hand on us. And it's, it's the picture we get of Christmas. God's response to our mess is to send his son down into the middle of it. It's not to look down and say, hey, clean it up a little bit, and then I'll come help you. It's not to say, when I see some effort from your part, then I'll respond to you. His response is, you are dead, you are dying, you're alone, so here's my son who comes to bring life. Here's my son who comes to demonstrate love to you. And that eternal, unconditional love of Christ should cause hope to be born in us in this moment because it means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how close or far you feel to Jesus this morning, his response to you right now in this moment is one of love. Unconditional and overwhelming. But this love he extends to us, it's not just a a feeling that kind of makes our heart feel warm and fuzzy. Right? It's not just another version of kind of the, the Christmas feels that we all get at times when you see certain decorations or people or hear certain songs, but the love of Jesus is actually a force that brings transformation into our lives. As you continue reading Psalm 139, it teaches us Jesus sees us, he knows us, he loves us, and that love compels him to reveal his plan for us, and that love compels us to follow that plan and to walk in it. All right, so he says it this way in verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. I mean, just think of, again, this is, if you've been in church at all, really, you've heard this before. This idea that God ordains your steps, that he knows you, he, he understands you, and more than that, he has a plan for you. Right? Part of a, a loving father's job is to direct the paths of his children. And, in, and as a dad, we do that as we get to know our kids. And so we'll direct them towards things we think they'll succeed in, and and often we'll steer them away from things that we think will bring harm or danger to them. And what the scriptures teach us is that God is doing the same thing with us, but he's been doing it in your life since before you had any knowledge of who you were or what you were doing. I was talking with Pastor Laura this morning. She is, uh, like what, 11 months pregnant? Something like that? I mean, she's done, right? She's telling me this morning, like, just, I'm ready to get this baby out. And she's married to Pastor Cameron, or the guy who's stooping under the drums right now. And, you know, so they're both very tall. And I was teasing her of like, I can't wait for this 26-inch baby to be born. It's going to be awesome. She's just going to walk herself down to the nursery. And, you know, it's, it's just going to be beautiful. But here's the thing. Like, any, any of those jokes, just I'm purely guessing. 
Right? And, and you can go do an ultrasound. You can figure out how big that baby is, but you don't know what her personality is going to be like. You don't know what she's going to deal with when she's 23 years old. You don't know who she's going to marry or who she's going to work with. But what the scriptures tell us is when each of us were in that setting, God knew exactly who you were. All of your days were ordained. He knew that on this day you would be in this place hearing this message that Jesus sees you, Jesus knows you, Jesus loves you, and Jesus has a plan for you. That's how it works. And it is overwhelming to consider that. If that's who he is, then hope has to be born in my heart. Because it means this day has purpose and meaning because it has been ordained by God for me. You might find yourself in a season of life this morning that you question the significance of. God, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't where I thought I would live. This isn't what I thought I would do. These aren't the people I thought I would be with. And the message of the scriptures to you is he still sees you, he still knows you, he still loves you, and he still has a plan right now for this moment. He's not given up on you today. He's not given up on your tomorrows. And so as you continue to surrender to him, to plant yourself in a community of faith, to read the scriptures, to pray, to seek him, he's going to reveal his will to you. How can we say that with such confidence? Because he loves you like a father. Right? And and I know in my own limited love for my children, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they stay on the right path in their life. Right? This is why you've lost your mind playing in the front yard with your kids as they turn to sprint towards the street. And you screamed like a crazy person. The neighbors all came out to look at you because you're determined they're going to stay on the right path. Right? It's why when finals grades come out for some of you with college students, you're going to have some heart-to-heart conversations with them. Hey, come on, let's stay the course. Let's be on the right path. Let's keep pursuing. Let's keep moving forward. If, if we as limited mothers and fathers do this, how much more will God who has known us from before our mother even knew us? God who has created us and formed us. God who has watched over every moment of our existence. God who has loved us with a love that runs deeper than any sin. If he does that, then how much more is he going to reveal? This is the path. Now walk in it. So if you're in a season of transition this morning, I want to encourage you to begin praying a very simple prayer. It's a a prayer that's helped me during every moment of transition, of uncertainty. We've prayed it uh, for, for my job. We've prayed it for Angie's job. We've prayed it for our kids from the big decisions to the little decisions. And it's, it's rooted in these ideas that Jesus sees me, knows me, loves me, and has a plan for me. And so our prayer in each of these moments is God open the right doors and close all of the wrong ones. Because our trust is in his ability to get us where he wants to go, not in my ability to figure out the way on my own. And so when your soul begins to rest in these ideas, he sees me, he knows me, he loves me, he has a plan for me. And it's a, it's a good plan. It's a plan that's going to honor him, that's going to glorify him, that's going to bring hope and life and meaning to me. Man, you can just keep trucking along, doing the things he's called you to do right now. 
trusting that if he's got a different plan, if he's got a different direction, he's going to close that door. What it also causes you to do is to begin to thank God for closed doors, which is not always a pleasant experience. Nobody likes being told no. Nobody likes being told uh, we're going with someone else. Nobody likes being told uh, thanks, but we're going to go in a different direction. But if we really believe God sees us, he knows us, he loves us, he has a plan for us, then when doors shut in our face, we turn, we say, thank you, Lord, continue to direct my way. And we walk in it, trusting that in his sovereign care, he has ordained all the days of our lives. He's the one who sees the beginning from the end. He is our everlasting father. Because he's before it, He knows where we're going. He knows where where the end is going to be. And because he's our father, he will guide us with love and with care. So this Advent, we celebrate that he is not a God who is far off, who's just given rules. But he's a God who draws near, who has sent his son and his spirit to live inside of us, to lead us and guide us every day. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray with you. And the band's going to lead us in a final song this morning. God, I thank you for your your goodness and your grace that you've extended to us in Christ. I pray for those who are here today who feel overlooked or ignored, that you would remind them that you see them in this moment. For those who feel that they're anonymous, no one pays attention, no one cares, may you remind them that you know them fully. God, we pray for those who feel far from you this morning, that you would remind them you love them with the everlasting, unconditional, never giving up love of a father, that your love stands before their sin, your love runs deeper than your sin, and your love will stand after their sin. So Jesus, we pray that in these moments, your spirit would speak to us words of hope and comfort. We pray for those, Lord, who are seeking your direction in their lives. May you reveal your will. May you guide their way. May they trust in you. Jesus, we thank you that in every moment, your love is the force that saves us. Your love is the force that leads us and guides us. And we surrender to it, Jesus, asking that you would come. That you would be strong and you would be powerful in our lives that you would comfort us, you would challenge us, you would lead us as our everlasting Father. The one who sees our beginning from our end. The one whose care and compassion for us will never end. We thank you, Lord. We surrender to that love. We ask that your spirit would make it real in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As they lead us in this song, if you'd like someone to join with you about specific prayers, needs that you have in your life, if you'll head out those back doors and to your left, some of our pastors and prayer team members will be ready to join with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.